It was a hot August day in 95. I sat in the temporary office of the men's hotel where I had been a cleaner until an electrical fire gutted half the building the previous April. Since then the staff was on duty at cut-rate salaries to man the one phone line and patrol the premises regularly. We came cheaper than any security company and apparently few of us wanted to get serious about job hunting. A big white panel truck pulled up outside and the driver came in to hand me a cassette. It was, he said, from his boss, Dino DeLuca. Dino's family ran a cross-border trucking company, so delivering one measly tape to a burned-out gay hotel downtown must have been an unusual assignment for this guy, but whatever. I had only met Dino once before. That June, I was enlisted to play bass for an unusual musical production in the Montreal Fringe Festival called Tough Pluck, The Art of the Cockfight. It was an absurd show, but very funny, with a film noir sensibility and some appropriately groovy music as played by me and my sofa pal Keith on drums and his old high school buddy Peter Pugliese on guitar. As we rehearsed that spring, Pete and I talked a lot about music, and we shared a love for 50s and 60s rock and roll. He had cut his teeth playing classic rock in high school and Sejep cover bands, and eventually in a ska band called the Crypt Kickers, who were already tearing it up playing gigs on Montreal's West Island in 86, when I was still finding my way around a fretboard. Dino DeLuca was their drummer, and I knew him by reputation already because Keith spoke so highly of his skills. Turns out Pete and Dino, inspired by the recent Pulp Fiction boost to classic surf and instrumental rock and roll, wanted to get playing again and needed a bass player. It seems they weren't so interested in dealing with the issue of finding a vocalist either, maybe being the house band for Station 10's Elvis Presley competition cured them of that. Busy as I was, Sofa had already released two albums in 1995. I liked Pete and with my girlfriend away studying film in Ontario, I knew I could spare one night a week to play some covers. Besides, I loved playing the dark and heavy originals I co-wrote with the boys in Sofa, and we laughed our asses off in that little windowless rehearsal room on the plateau. But this just sounded like fun. When I heard the tape, I knew I was right. It was a mix of classic surf like The Ventures, The Shantaes, and Dick Dale, and great instrumental rock by Lonnie Mack and Link Ray and his Ray Men. This would expand eventually to tunes by The Marquettes, The Pyramids, The Shadows, and my idea, a surf instrumental version of Billy Idol's White Wedding. Most importantly, playing these songs and playing with two guys so far beyond my own technical level was like going to school for me. I had always played by ear and found my early inspiration in the post-punk and new wave of the psychedelic furs and U2, whose bassists relied quite a bit on eighth notes and so were easier to play along to. 
Playing early rock and roll meant going back to the roots, the blues scales, and swinging, which I managed to do with Garner Firebird, keeping it simple. Oh, the name. We were all junkies for the pop culture of our youth. I came up with the name as a tribute to the car actor James Garner drove in the Rockford Files, his own gold Pontiac Firebird. So this became my Friday night routine. We would end the week with a couple hours working up a set list, ordering in a pizza, having a beer or two. We played live, looking for like-minded local bands to share the stage with. The Meltones, the Treblemakers, Shooting Rubies, Kamikazes, the Pinups, and Keith's own Delmarva scheme. We even played a series of Sunday afternoon outdoor shows at the old Jailhouse Rock Cafe, until the merchant across the street complained to the police and told Dino our music was boombastic. As time wore on, Sofa imploded, and it became clear that Pete, an engineer, was looking to move to Ontario himself. It was fairly clear that the moment for surf rock had passed again, and though we were more than just a surf band, Pete and Dino were family men, and the band wasn't ever going to be more than a sideline for them. Jimmy quit, and Joni got married. I should have known we'd never get far. Wait. No, wrong band. Happily, we saw the end coming and agreed to finish up the handful of originals we'd written and got into the studio to record a proper release, if for no other reason to prove we'd been there. I listen to it now, and I'm happy to hear those guys playing so well. I can't fault them for not taking the artistic path but I miss hearing them play and seeing them grow. I've always had the instinct to play with better players than myself and learned a lot from Pete and Dino, even though we played within an allegedly more primitive form. Plus, they were just good guys. Before you hear the pretty much closing theme, here's one of my other favorites from the 1999 CD release. This is Garner Firebird. Cajun Train grew out of a jam session, which was always a funny situation because I don't do bass solos. But in this case, Pete was egging me on, yelling, Solo! Solo! And I came up with a little bass riff that you'll hear a couple of times in the song after the breaks. It's a deceptively simple tune. The swampy groove is paramount, and the opening guitar always reminded me of the Smiths' How Soon Is Now, which is what I mean when I say we weren't just a surf band. We were on to something. We were expressing ourselves through a kaleidoscope of influences and left behind one little document, at least. It's the same impulse that sees one continuing to step on stage or in front of a camera, even in his middle age. Or, you know, release a podcast.
Pretty Much, Episode 14, Firebird Blues. Written and read by Scott Clarkson. Music by Garner Firebird. <laughs>